Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. Is anyone else struggling with what to wear these days? I've been pretty frustrated with getting dressed over the last few months as I've navigated body changes, and some days I quite literally have no idea what to wear. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion. When I signed up, I took a style quiz, and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my life. I've been renting clothes from Armoire for a while now, and the more I rent, the more on point the suggestions get. Plus, you send what you wear back, which is a great way to try new styles without waste. Armoire also has such a fantastic range of options. Whether you're planning an outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or maybe a family event, or just need some updated options for everyday life, you'll be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to find time for an exhausting shopping day. Right now, Didn't I Just Feed You listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash D-I-J-F-Y. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-I-J-F-Y to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, Wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. If you don't love fish but you really do hope to increase exposure for your kid, smoked fish might be a good way to go. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. And hey, guys, before we get into today's topic, be sure to subscribe right where you're listening right now. And if you have a minute, rate and review. It makes us happy. And that's honestly like the most important part of it. But also, (laughs) it helps other busy cooks find us. And we want to reach as many of you as possible. Okay. I'm really excited about today's episode because it's a listener request. But I think maybe we were both, I don't know, should I just speak for myself? I feel like we were a little hesitant. It's just, we're going to talk about seafood and how to encourage your family to like it. Although, I don't know, we can talk about if that's too strong a word or not. (laughs) But it's just, fish is one of those foods that it just doesn't feel like there is enough consensus. You know what I mean? Like, not every kid likes pasta. Not every kid loves mac and cheese, but you can generally say that kids like mac and cheese and you're not going to get like a hard eye roll. And I feel like 
almost no matter what you say about fish, someone is going to give you a hard eye roll. (laughs) Also, does it kind of fall into the category of kale where like when you do have a kid who likes it, you're like, oh, yeah, my kid eats shrimp, which totally I'm totally guilty of that. Right. Like you're bragging about it. You're like, totally could eat a whole side of salmon by himself. But I try not to tell anyone that. Like if someone says, oh, my kid likes flounder or likes salmon, like one thing. But and I know that Emmett is one of these kids. When you hear someone be like, oh, my kid loves seafood in general and will like eat any of it. And is that kid at the table like sucking out the crawfish? I'm like, oh, my God, you are. You're just bragging now. Fair, fair. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those subjects where I don't think we're going to like instantly convert a family of non-seafood lovers to seafood lovers. So I think we're really only speaking to like the 10 people who (laughs) requested this episode. (laughs) Sorry to everyone else. But sometimes those episodes where we think like, oh, this is going to be kind of a dud and it's not going to be very helpful to our large audience ends up being some of our most popular episodes too, right? It's true. I think my apprehension comes from an anxiety that people are requesting this because they think that we have a magic answer. You know how sometimes people ask questions and they don't want like, here's a bunch of suggestions. And like the unspoken thing is some will work for you and some really won't. It depends on your time, your budget, your kid, your tastes, what you normally buy, et cetera. But like sometimes parents come and I've done this too in reverse. So I don't mean this in a judgy way. Parents come to you desperate, like, oh, my gosh, like, how do I get my kid to eat that? And, you know, there's just no, like, magic answer. So I guess we're going to preface that. Yeah, big spoiler alert. We don't have a magic potion. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Okay. So stupid that I feel the need to say it. (laughs) I know. I know. Right? But, like, aren't there certain things in your life where you do wish there was a magic potion to fix it? I certainly do. It's not how to get my kids to eat seafood, but other things, right? And some of the tips we give, I'm like, that's effing genius. And I'm like, yeah, I'm proud of that one. That one's going to work for a whole lot of people. (laughs) You know, like this is, I'm not sure I have any of those here, but we'll see. Yeah. I also think like kind of pulling back a little bit and thinking about our picky eater episodes, which there's some like alignment with picky eating and seafood is the advice that is like super common And also still problematic, even when you're dealing with less expensive things like kale and quinoa. But it's even harder with seafood is experts will be like, you need to just like expose your kids to those foods more and then they'll be more open to trying them. And like it's going to take 20 to 30 exposures. And seafood is expensive. It has a much higher price point per ounce than chicken or ground beef. And so it's hard I also think it's like a little bit harder to shop for personally. And I think we're going to talk about that. But like it's hard to like put that effort into buying it and serving it 20 or 30 times when like that might not really fit into your budget. And so like how do you balance your budget and wanting to have some of the health benefits and also just like getting to enjoy seafood if you're a seafood lover? Totally. Ah, With seafood, it's 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 a much harder sell, right? Than be like, just buy a little bit of quinoa. I'm so glad that you brought up the budget piece because that's a huge part of it. And in our episode with the Budget Mom, you and I reveal our grocery store budgets. 
Yeah. And we all, I know. Mm-hmm. Mine uh-huh. is much higher now, actually. I mean, yeah, mine, <laughs> mine has stayed the same, but mine was extraordinarily high in the first place. You yeah. know, we also do a lot of recipe development. It's not all going to our families. And it's also a tax write-off for us, let's be honest. Yes. So there are, there are factors that, you know, play into that. But even for me, like it hurts to throw a good piece of fish in the trash. And I've had to do it. You are not throwing fish away. You can't be. Well, I'll tell you why I am. But you know what? (laughs) I need solutions. Okay. Can we make that a lightning round at the end? I'm going to tell you my like top three ways to use up fish. Great. Because Oliver is one of those fish eaters that like, he's just one of those eaters in general that like, touches everything and moves it around on his plate and and you're like if you're not gonna eat it just leave it alone so someone else can have it and he also doesn't always use his fork still like he's 11 and he uses his fingers a lot and i have to say that fish leftovers is a hard one for me and then on top of it i feel like he's mauled it and like moved it around his nasty (laughs) plate with his nasty fingers and i ended up throwing it in the garbage so i'm so glad that you mentioned this lightning round because i need that and i'm gonna just watch him and be like get off of that fish like i'm gonna turn it into something (laughs) yes oh man okay Maybe you need to go back to the like toddler advice of serving him like the tiniest portion to start, I, so he'll maul right. more of the le- yes. lefto- less of the leftovers. That's okay. such a good tip, <laughs> honestly. So thinking about price point brings us right into like a really good way to sort of digest seafood as a whole. Starting with like what is the lowest price point, and you mentioned before we started recording canned fish. Yeah, yeah. I never think to buy. So, could you tell us a little bit about like what kinds of canned fish you buy for your family, and also how you serve them? Yeah, totally. So, we recently did an Instagram live answering a listener question from our listeners community. You should all be joining us there, Facebook. The answer is whiskey. Yes. If you need to know what our favorite cocktail is i'm getting a lot of people lately being like i just started listening so maybe we need it up higher in an episode okay so somebody asked about ideas for what to do with canned salmon and i was pretty impressed with us we came up with a lot of good ideas but i also admitted in that video that i don't like canned salmon personally but maybe you have ideas on that for us it's really all about canned tuna Oliver and I love it. Isaac is sort of meh. And Mike is a hard pass on any canned fish. Mm. So whatever. So I don't use it in tons of ways that are really applicable to family dinners because Mike won't eat it. But tuna salad, absolutely. And then we'll put that on, you know, Oliver and I will put that on top of a spinach salad, like old school diner style, like a scoop of it. (laughs) Because tuna salad with like a balsamic vinaigrette, like all mixed in with spinach and lettuce, I love. You know, wraps, sandwiches, tuna melts. And the big thing that I do is I'll make a big batch of tuna salad and I'll mix it with elbow pasta because it's delicious, like relish and fresh dill, a little like the relish juice or pickle juice. You know, it's so good. And I'll make a big batch of that and I'll pack it for all of our school lunch or now our home lunch. Sometimes I'll have it around if we do like a leftovers dinner one night and that Oliver and I will eat that like in the summer. Mostly I'll just have it on hand, but it's one of my favorites. I'm over here just 
like dying because you know that I have a weird aversion to canned tuna because we ate it so often growing up. I know. And I also don't love mayonnaise-based salads, so I'm like, I want. (laughs) They're like, no, and no, and no. Nope. That's going to be a no for me. But It's so good, Megan. (laughs) Oh, I, yeah. It's so funny that you say that because I understand, like, intrinsically i understand what is appealing about it to people and i just don't like it brian loves it and it's actually one of those things that he makes for himself in fact in our yo-yos dinner episode we we shared his recipe basically his recipe for english muffin tuna melts Mm. so that's funny because since we did that ig live i have like flagged more recipes and tried a little bit more cooking with canned salmon but you talked a little bit about how it's funny because the best way to serve fish, to get your family to like fish, is for it to not taste fishy. And, like, canned tuna and canned salmon are actually two of the most fishy-smelling things. I know. You're so right about that. And it's weird because some, like, picky people – because let's be honest, being picky about fish – isn't just a kid thing. I know a lot of grownups who have like a weird thing about fish as well. Yeah. But some people who don't like fresh fish will love like a fish salad and then vice versa. Like uh, Mike loves fresh seafood, but doesn't like canned at all. So I don't know. It's a weird thing. Yeah. So I guess it's like what what I hear in the recipes you're describing is like, Always pairing canned fish with another, like, super flavorful, super fragrant thing. So I think a lot about how, like, we've done canned salmon, like, Caesar wrap. So you just get, like, a whole wheat wrap and even a bagged Caesar salad kit. But, like, Caesar dressing is so strong that once you toss that canned salmon in it, it's, like, it takes on that flavor and that smell. So it's not immediately offensive to a certain nine-year-old's sensibilities. (laughs) We also like it in like a soba noodle bowl because it's really easy. Like cook the soba noodles, do some steamed edamame, and then toss the canned salmon in like a soy and miso kind of sauce or like a little add a little chili crunch and sort of covers the flavors and fragrances. And I also have flagged but haven't made yet – you call it a tamaki, like a sushi hand roll where you take nori and sushi rice. And then you do this like dressing of mayo and a little bit of sriracha on the salmon itself and then put it into a wrap with like cucumber sticks and grated carrots. And I think my family would actually be super into that. Okay. So this is so interesting to me because I'm wondering if there's a texture piece of this that we can talk about briefly. Because you say that you don't like mayonnaise-based salads. Yeah. But like Caesar dressing with canned salmon. I mean, that's not that much different than mayonnaise. Right. You might not be making your tamaki hand rolls with mayo, but it is common in Japan to sometimes, you know, mix the imitation crab or it could be salmon with a little bit of mayonnaise even once before it goes into the hand roll. So... It's like a flavor thing where you're mixing it with these other flavors, like you're saying, whether it's dressing or you're adding mayo and relish and all these things, you know, chili crunch. But also all of these things that we're mixing the canned fish with allows us to really like break down the flakes. Yeah. Yes. It almost becomes like a different texture. 
That's true. I think that's true. And I wonder if that's a different, like if that makes a difference for some people, both good and bad in both directions. Right. So I would say, though, like with the Caesar wraps, you don't have to break it down. It's almost like you could toss it in a way that keeps like the big chunks of salmon. And actually, for me with tuna, I prefer to eat it that way versus when it's like very shredded. Like if you make a tuna cake and you're kind of delicate with how the tuna is like incorporated into the bread crumbs and eggs and stuff. Um, I pr- I like that better. I do too, but that's when I'll use jarred tuna, like right. fancier jarred in, but then that has a fishy taste too. Right. <laughs> I agree with you, but I do think that my kids, like Isaac would prefer it flaked up more. Yeah. So it's interesting. Part of, yeah. It's part of serving canned fish to our families, really knowing like textures that our family prefers in addition to like adding a lot of flavor to sort of cover up the fishiness. Yeah. And I also think that canned fish can go into things like it can go into a cake. It can go into a hand roll that has all those cucumbers and, you know, nori. It's not just like a piece of fish. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, those are the benefits of experimenting with canned fish. I mean, besides the price, because you kind of can't beat it when it comes to like comparative seafood pricing. Yeah. Even the air quotes, fancier, jarred and packed in olive oil tuna is much more affordable than buying like a fresh tuna steak from your fishmonger. Totally. And, you know, this is not canned, but kind of in my mind. So maybe this will make sense. Maybe it won't. (laughs) In my mind, there's a connection between canned fish and also like smoked fish. I think it has to do with like how you buy it, that it's not fresh. So like smoked salmon comes sealed. It lasts longer. I think of it as a pantry item. In my family, we really like smoked whitefish salad. Mm. So, you know, that's um, that's kind of how I'm making the leap into smoked fish, which is great because also affordable. Also, you can kind of vary the textures up a little bit. And in terms of the flavor, you're not going to get strong fishiness, even though a lot of times the smoked fish is the more oily, fishy fish like salmon and mackerel. But because it's been smoked, the predominant flavor is that like smoky flavor. Yes, I think that totally aligns like canned fish, preserved fish. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but talk to us a little bit about like how you use it, because... It is a higher price point. You're jumping from like canned salmon that's a couple dollars for a can to smoked fish, which can be like $10 for just a couple of ounces. Totally. So there and it also really depends. I also find that honestly, quality like to buy really fancy smoked fish is not something you're going to do when you're going to mix your smoked fish into like other things or feed it to kids. <laughs> like that's for when you're treating yourself to like a perfect bagel with a, you know, schmear and your beautiful like smoked fish. Okay, but can I make a small argument there which is to say that that still counts as exposure. Like a lot of times, not a lot of times, but a handful of times I've wanted that like New York bagel and we're here in Mm. Boise. And so we'll go and get like the best bagels from the place we like here and we'll get smoked salmon and we'll make like a bagel board. I feel like those are kind of ubiquitous now. And so I get my salmon and my kids are probably not going to eat it. Emmett might at this point, but like 
that still counts to me as a, an exposure. Like they saw totally. it, they watched me enjoy it, they smelled it, it was around them, and if they didn't like totally turn their nose up at it, I think I count that as a win. I think that's a great point because I also think that if you as the family cook, as the parent, the caregiver, if you don't love fish, but you really do hope to increase exposure for your kid, smoked fish might be a good way to go. Just in terms of price, the prepackaged in the supermarket refrigerator section, like compare the one that's a couple of dollars cheaper is probably not like much worse quality. And especially if you're going to cook it into stuff or just have little bits, it's fine. If you're going to your deli counter or like a bagel store, you can also ask for the scraps. So that's that's a quick little. Yeah. So that when they're cutting those thin, beautiful slices that they like fan out and, you know, people pay a lot of money for, there's always little like scraps. And sometimes they'll sell that to you at a cheaper price. Hot tip, Billis. Hot tip. So I really like Oliver loves smoked salmon, even though he won't eat fresh salmon anymore, which is a whole other oh like annoying. I bet I there are so many thing. listeners who are like, I have that exact same thing with like Ugh. seven ingredients. I have we have that in our house too. It's like you like it one way, but not the other one. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So we put it in a frittata, like with dollops of cream cheese or creme fraiche. It's delicious. Mm. In wraps, on bagels savory crepes so we talk a lot about like crepes or even like a savory dutch baby just laying a little on top with some creme fraiche or sour cream and dill is really really delicious and a great way that if you want to do like breakfast for dinner but you get stuck on like oh well where's the protein there you go that's a little bit of a protein option how do you do you buy smoked fish all that much i think yeah we definitely buy it a couple times a year mostly to my like to kill my bagel, New York bagel yes, craving. Yes, totally. Um, I'm, I've missed going back there twice a year for work. But we, so we do that a lot. I, I'm with you on the pasta thing, like it, chopping it up and incorporating it into a pasta is just like a really easy way to use it. We've done it for like sushi nights because it's significantly less yes. expensive than buying and prepping raw fish. And then that's like one of those easy way, like, Ella will eat nori and she'll eat sushi rice and she'll eat like the avocado, all the veggies. So even if she passes on the salmon, it's still a win for like three out of four of us. And I, I count that. So, yeah, I don't we don't buy a ton of it, maybe three or four times a year. But I also have used it. I mean, maybe this is going to sound weird. I'm going to see what you say. (laughs) We have like when we've had leftovers of it from doing like a bagel board or something or sushi night. I've also incorporated it with like canned salmon. So to make a salmon cake. So you get like that smoky flavor and you get like a little bit of variance in textures and you stretch that like little bit of smoked salmon that was more expensive with the canned salmon. That That is super cheap. so smart. And that reminds me of something that I'm seeing more and more. It used to be that smoked salmon was always the thin sliced kind, but I'm noticing vacuum packed smoked salmon skin on, not a filet. What's the, the kind cut? of it is, isn't it? A steak? Yeah, it's like a thick cut steak, like a salmon steak, but steak is usually the cross section. Yeah. Anyway, like a thick cut filet with the skin on one side 
smoked and vacuum packed and that flakes beautifully that would be great the way you just described and also like as a side note when that's available that's especially good in pasta too i like that as well as thin cut smoked salmon do you find it has like a similar price point to the sliced or is it like a little bit less expensive because you're kind of doing the labor of flaking it off or slicing it yourself i haven't purchased it that much that i feel like i can i'm curious We'll, yeah. we'll pop that into the show notes. Okay, we'll do like, a little we'll research. We'll do a little comparison there. Okay, I want to get uh, back a little bit to ca- more canned fish. I know Uh-oh. you didn't think there was more than tuna and salmon. I did But let's talk about sardines and oh, anchovies, Billis, your uh, favorite. I'm listen. kidding. I know you do not like them, so tell <laughs> listen. us why. Listen. <laughs> My mom is Greek. She's from Greece. She's not super into food. In her mind, opening a can of sardines and eating it straight out of the can with a slice of feta cheese is a, like, delicious, perfect dinner. Not only do I not think that now, but I especially didn't think it when I was 11 (laughs) or 12 years old. And she was a single mom working and, like, she'd come home exhausted You know, I was latchkey kid, finished my homework. Okay, like, I'm hungry now. She'd be, like, you know, too tired to cook. There's food. I'd be like, no, really, there isn't anything. And she's like, yes, there are sardines. There's feta cheese. I'm like, sardines and feta are not dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Like on a million levels. Like I still don't think it's dinner, but like I understand it much more now. Like I definitely would eat something comparable for dinner now. But also like when you're a 12 year old kid, it's weird. And then like your parent is the like, Greek immigrant and your house only has like canned sardines and a big vat of feta because it wasn't like the individual packages that you can get at the supermarket now. Oh, no, no, no. No, like we went to the Greek store and it was like a big plastic container with like a humongous hunk of feta. I don't know. It was like embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my little food trauma. Yeah. Okay. So I think maybe you can also understand that's where my dislike of tuna yes comes yes. from is it just like always being around and always being a cheap like source of protein for my mom and so much tuna noodle casserole <laughs> oh my god did she ever do anything really weird with it with the canned tuna that you're like that is not all right <laughs> sorry mom i think i might have blocked it out like <laughs> whatever was terrible but unrelated, one year she tried to do a vegetarian Easter because we were just like on a really tight budget. It was actually like after she had graduated graduate school and she tried to do this like eggplant that was like a ham replacement and it basically like exploded. It was so terrible. I can't, I can't even tell you. Okay. But here's what I want to take just a minute. Like I do want to talk more about sardines and anchovies, but like. Here we are as two people who grew up with trauma around (laughs) (laughs) seafood, and yet we both still like seafood. So I think that's a really that's like an important thing for parents to hear, right? And I actually think now that you're saying it, my other food trauma is around seafood too. Yeah, isn't it's around octopus? Oh, was I thought it was going to be around fish eyeballs for some reason. Yeah, that too. I forgot about that. My grandpa (laughs) used to eat the whole because we're Greeks, so the the whole fish always like we never had fish fillets. Yeah, that was like except you know my mom because she was like more convenience cook always rushing. But like if we went to dinner at my grandma's house, which we did several times a week, it's always the whole fish. And my grandpa. 
pop his finger right into the eye socket, pop it out and just like not like let it roll around in his mouth and not on it, which was disgusting to me. <laughs> and also octopus. I remember that that was on the table. And as Greeks do, there were also lots of other things on the table, like pita, taramusolata, tzatziki, like feta cheese. You know, there's always like a lot of little plates of stuff. And I don't know if it was the only protein or what. I don't know. But I was like, no, thank you. And I remember my grandma actually yelling at my mom, <laughs> like oh, no. in Greek, because yeah. like what was wrong with me? You know, if something's wrong with mm-hmm. me. It was my mom's fault. <laughs> That's how it works in Greek culture. You know, that I wouldn't eat the octopus. And then, you know, it was very much like, well, then you can go. Like, that's what there is. <laughs> I just don't want to eat it. It's so weird. Okay. That I is love incredible. octopus now. Yeah. that's oh, But also, that's like the stuff that like messes you up as a kid where it's you're like, true. I'm the problem because I don't like this thing. I'm the problem. And it reminds me of our episode we did with the women from What Fresh Hell podcast, and they were talking about how, like, what to do when people comment on how your kids eat or what they don't eat. Um, It's a really great listen. If maybe you've personally had some of that trauma or you're trying to protect your kids from your family in the future, it's a really great listen. So in the spirit of my healing around sardines, talk to me. (laughs) Okay. Well, so one thing is really interesting to me is – we canned tuna was always around, right? But like I wasn't introduced to sardines and anchovies until I was like in culinary school and out of culinary school. And then it was presented to me as this very cool, very flavor packed, like all the chefy people I was hanging out with were like into it. So it felt fancy. And so I just came from it from a totally different perspective. Like you had canned sardines as sort of this like cheap food. And I experienced them as like something to covet. It's so So interesting. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. (laughs) But one of the reasons I would never serve sardines or anchovies straight up to my kids. But I am a big fan of both of them for adding flavor to other things like pasta Caesar salad dressing. I know that they like it can be a little bit like fishy, but because they're preserved in the way that they are, they also bring this like huge boost of umami flavor. And so I'm going to count that even if it's like hidden or just like lying by omission, like maybe not telling my kids but that it's, it's in there. So I'm going to count that as a serving. Okay, I want you to talk to me about this because. I also will use anchovy paste in very small amounts because honestly, Oliver can detect it if I use a little too much. Oh, what was that pasta that everybody was freaking out about? It was one of what's her name's pastas. Allison Roman. Allison Roman's like, yeah, it was her. Was it a shallot pasta? Yes, that's exactly what it was. It was her shallot pasta. It calls for anchovy paste. And it just gives like that nice umami flavor. Oliver took one bite and was like, no, like, I don't know what's wrong with this. Something weird is about this pasta. And it was a little bit on the edge for me, too. But I wanted to... I haven't. I would like to make it again with just a little less anchovy paste because I got what the flavor was could be. be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that everybody else likes it. I think because we're more sensitive to that, like, fishy flavor, it just, like, hit us wrong, you know? But a little less might have been okay. I would never think of that as being fish exposure. And you do. And I think that's great. I want you to talk to us about, like, 
Why? Because I would think that you want the kids to know, well, you are, you're eating anchovy paste, just so you know, so that they can start to make that connection. But maybe that's not important. Yeah. I guess it's like normalizing what we describe as like a fishy taste and aroma in a way that's not like we're having fish for dinner today. Yes. Yes. If my, if Ella like took a bite of pasta and she was like, there's something weird here, I would be like, oh, it might be the anchovy paste, right? Like I'm not going to not tell her. And I'm also prepared for her to totally reject, reject dinner. If she does ask, and that is fine for me. But I think there's something in being able to have a conversation, like a low stakes conversation with your kid about what those flavors are and what they mean. Yeah, that's so smart. Because if it's that fishy flavor and smell, it's kind of like an allergy exposure, (laughs) you know, where they say like, give it to you little, little, little bit. And then you build and you build, you know, it's just kind of a hint. It's something you can't put your finger on, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. And their palate grows accustomed to it. And now you've kind of primed the wheels for putting fish on the table. And so when they get that seafood smell, it's not an immediate like, oh my God, no. Because they've had other foods that they have really good positive associations with that have had a similar smell, you know, like pasta, like shallot pasta. So I think that's really smart. That's a really big shift in thinking for me. Also, again, anchovy paste is like very inexpensive and yes. lasts forever and you need just a little bit. So if you're looking for like a inexpensive entry point, that might be it for you. And then you can get into like sardines on toast or sardines on yeah. avocado toast and I'll stuff never, much, yes. <laughs> much, much later. But something you said there made me think about the language we use to talk about fish. Like, aren't there other words to describe yeah. fish besides fishy? Yeah, that's so smart because that word has a negative connotation, even with me, right. you know, and some fish just has a stronger smell than others. Mackerel, like even salmon can. Um, it tends to be the more oily fish. But, you know, we all know that language really matters with kids. So, you know, introducing words like briny or I don't know, this is maybe not perfect, but like a a little like taste of the sea, like a fresh taste of the sea, which it sounds weird, but <laughs> I've used the term grassy to describe a good flavor, right? And like who really wants to eat grass? Right. Like a mouthful of grass sounds <laughs> disgusting, but like you're like, oh, it's like a really fresh grass grassy flavor. So I don't know, like just playing with your language and staying away from fishy and like this idea that like fishy has to equal stinky. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And now talking about like that taste of a sea, like that briny, that saltiness, that umami, that thing that you can't put your finger on. I feel like Japanese cuisine does a really beautiful job of using that flavor in a way that's really delicate and delicious. I'm Um, so glad you brought that up. Yeah. I was just thinking about how I would I've talked my kids through like what umami means that like super super deeply salted almost fermented sort of protein packed flavor and the number one thing that i think of is bonito flakes yes which bonitos like like long term dried and preserved fish and you can like it's very expensive but you can buy like a whole block of it and there's these special bonito shavers or 
which is much easier. You can just go to your local Asian market and buy packages of it already shaved, which is really nice because they're small pack like you buy a package that's like 10 smaller packages and then you can just use one of those packages for a meal. And most often you buy Bonita Flakes to make dashi, which is the broth that's like the base of miso soup, among many others. But it is like very salty. It's almost like a condiment in a way. And I think most often we serve it on shishito peppers. So like if you buy shishitos and you roast them or grill them till they're blistered and then as you're bringing them to the table, you throw the bonito flakes on top. They're so cool. It's like they do this crazy little dance as they sort of like wilt onto the hot shishito peppers. And then they just taste like salt on top of the peppers. It's so delicious. And if we're going to talk about anchovy paste counting, this is another like great way to introduce those flavors, those smells in a completely different presentation that looks nothing like fish. They're almost like papery thin, right? Yeah. Just so fun. And, you know, okonomiyaki are these Japanese like cabbage pancakes that they'll make and like little stalls or restaurants. It's not quite a street food, but I think you go to a particular kind of place to get them. Either way, often you'll get kewpie mayo and a whole bunch of bonito flakes on top. And you can do the same thing with like a zucchini pancake, like any kind of savory vegetable pancake. It really works and it's so delicious. It just lends a kind of smoky saltiness. Oh, man. It makes me think of their like fish sprinkles. Yes, totally. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, they really the best are. Way. Also, because it's preserved fish and because usually you buy them in like a vacuum sealed package, they last forever. So they're like easy to use, easy to have around, great in your pantry. And do you know what it's making me think of? Although this is like a very fancy thing, I think. There were a couple of like very high-end New York City restaurants, Italian restaurants, that a while back were, there's a different form of dried bonito that it's like a block. Yeah. And you have to grate it like the way you would uh, grate a cheese, like Parmesan. It almost has that consistency. I think it's called katsuobushi. I'm not sure. Yep. Apologies. I think that's in if line. I... We should link to like an, an explainer on yeah. the show notes so people can read more about it. Because it, it, I think you're close, but I don't you think just, that's quite it. Right. So you just shave a little bit on top of some a pasta and it's the same idea. Like it's not making it fishy. It's the same thing with fish sauce. The same principle that it has this great salty umami flavor and it enhances all the other flavors that you have going on. Okay, why have I never thought to use Bonito Flakes in pasta? Now I'm, like, mad at myself. (laughs) Yeah. So this is not dried fish, but do you think that nori, which is seaweed, and kombu, which is dried kelp, count? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same principle, right? Like, I've always found it really funny when kids, like, you know how seaweed snacks became so popular? At least they yes. were, like, when my boys were a little they're younger. they're so popular. Okay. Sure. Trader Joe's carries them on the regular. Okay, so you get these kids eating, like, chomping away at seaweed, and they're like, no, no, don't give me seafood. And I get it. It's definitely not the same flavor, but it's the same principle that we keep talking about here, which is, like, you know, nori tastes of the sea. Like, it has a little it, bit yeah. of a... 
like a fishy undertone, like that briny flavor. So, you know, I think it does count. It's just kind of, again, priming the palate with this range of tastes. Kombu, you mentioned, I think that's a really good one. It's just those dried squares of kelp that you can use to like make a dashi. Sometimes I'll just throw them into a miso soup that I'm making, just literally like boil the water with the kombu and then whisk the miso in at the end and then flavor it however you want. Yeah, that's how I use it. Do you? How else yeah. do you use it? I was going to just add that kombu is definitely not like a snacking Wait, right, that's right. It's, no, it's, it's more like of an ingredient. Yeah, it's definitely an ingredient and like you use it and then you pull it out. I love it. It's like a bay for, leaf. Yeah, it is, but it's <laughs> but much bigger. Right. I use it for cooking dried beans. I don't know where I <gasps> really? picked this up. And I actually don't know if it's 100% accurate, but I, one, it adds a ton of flavor. Again, it's like that salty, briny, umami flavor. But I've also read that it aids in the digestion of the beans it has a lot of like probiotic properties to it and so i always cook dried beans with a, even a small strip of kombu to make them more digestible hot tip and that stuff lasts forever if you decide to experiment okay we've been talking what seems like forever and we haven't even gotten to fried <laughs> i mean not fried that was a that was a slip <laughs> That was like a you know shows where, where my you, head is at. You just already know where I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, Frozen <laughs> and fresh fish. So let's okay. talk about because this is like the thing, right? Right. This is when you want to serve fish. Okay. So I think this is one of those funny things. I don't really buy a lot of canned fish. I don't buy a ton of fresh fish, but we always have frozen seafood on hand. Primarily frozen salmon fillets. Um, we do like cod and also shrimp. I also just want to take a minute again and be like, we buy like battered frozen seafood, like basically fish sticks. Um, even the <laughs> fancy sound—they're like battered. Da, da, da. Yeah, I was sticks. trying not to name brand names, but like you know, like Gordon Gordon's seafood. Yeah, and that's a big Trader one. Joe's even has these like what you would get at a fish and chips shop, like yep. cod that's been battered and fried. And so, I just want to shout out the 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 idea that it is okay to present your kids with fried food or even fish sticks as a, a counting like to count towards your total overall like there's nothing wrong with that maybe you're negating Absolutely whatever not. health benefits are there but like it's an exposure and if they like that and you serve it as part of like a frozen food smorgasbord which we've done in the past and they ha- and they try it that's a win to me a hundred percent also killer in quick tacos can't beat it yeah i think that's like the number one way we use them actually like we're not we're very rarely doing like a fish and chips night with frozen the frozen already battered what um cod but we definitely use them all the time for for tacos, even fish sticks and tacos. I know it's like a di- totally different thing, totally different texture. But like if your kid likes fish sticks, yeah, try it dude, out. go for it. So it's funny because we don't buy fish sticks a lot at all, really ever. <laughs> but you know why? Because anytime you serve something that's like even remotely that shape and breaded and fried, my kids want it to be chicken. No yeah. surprise. I'm the chicken no lady. No surprise, chicken lady. But I'll tell you what I do get sometimes. And it's like Isaac's favorite treat. He loves popcorn shrimp. 
Mm. Loves it. That's like a favorite thing of his. So good. I recently did an air fryer fried shrimp <gasps> recipe for kitchen, and we'll link to that. And yes. Emmett, Emmett could basically eat a whole batch, but he's also kind of he's my seafood obsessed kid right now. So that's part of why there's always seafood in our freezer. And also Brian's really into seafood. So that makes it easy to keep it on hand. I also sort of buy. Okay, so I have a problem that I want you to help me with. I will say that I do want to talk about frozen shrimp because that's something that I used to buy all the time. And if Oliver ate shrimp, which he just stopped annoying, I would still buy it all the time because I think it's an absolute lifesaver. Like if your family likes shrimp, you should be buying frozen shrimp and having it in your freezer at all times because it is the ultimate quick cook protein. 100%. Right? It's the best. So we'll get back to that in a second. I want to talk about frozen like salmon, for example, because you mentioned that you buy it on the regular. I try to because I'm like, I get in these, like I have these moments where I'm like, we're going to eat more fish. and. I really appreciate that they're frozen individually because Isaac only likes salmon and doesn't really like white-fleshed fish. Oliver only likes white-fleshed fish. So it's really great because you can kind of mix and match without cooking a whole other dinner, right? Whether you're doing it in papillote or you're just basting the fish with like a glaze, whether it's like mayonnaise, which we've talked about before, or like miso. I feel like you do. You're like the miso brown sugar chili crunch queen, like that type of thing. You can just brush it on all the pieces. It doesn't matter what kind of fish the pieces are. So there's so much flexibility. It's healthy. It's easy. It's pretty quick cooking. Once you do thought, once you thaw it, but every time I freaking defrost fish, I am having problems lately. It's so waterlogged. I've tried doing it quickly in the package, taking it out of the package and leaving it on the counter. I can't seem to thaw my fish in a way that doesn't compromise the integrity of the texture. So tell me what I'm doing wrong. Okay. I know this is going to sound a little bit fussy, but I promise that it's worth it if you want to enjoy the cost-saving benefits of frozen seafood, but you want like a better texture that's closer to fresh seafood. I take those individual portions from the freezer. I unwrap them and put them on a sheet pan and thaw them in our fridge. It's there's like a lot of science so overnight? I can get into. Yeah, overnight or honestly, like a lot of the fillets that are smaller, you could do it like in the morning and by dinner time they'll be thawed. But basically, like what happens when you're freezing and thawing fish is that there's like all these ice crystals that are developing in the flesh. And the slower that you can thaw the ice crystals, the better you'll keep the texture of the fish intact. So I don't really love quick thawing for fish unless it's shrimp, which, you know, is technically is that technically shellfish? Yes. Um, So like a little bit different. But for like for pieces of fish, I definitely recommend a long, slow thaw for best texture. That's like a mindset shift for me because I think of fish as being that thing that I'm like, I don't have anything. Great. Like grab it out of the freezer. Let's do fish. Like, so I think I have to be better about planning ahead a little bit more with my fish because I think I cook shrimp most from the freezer. I cook shrimp most frequently. And so like that's become my mindset that it's that thing you can just pull out of the freezer like an hour before it's time for dinner. Yeah, it's almost categorically its own thing, right? Like 
there's fit frozen fish totally. and there's frozen shrimp. I also wanted to add um, that like no matter how you're going to cook your fish, whether you're just going to put like a marinade on it, something wet, you have to pat it dry after it. Yes. Like, all around. Yes. You're never going to get a good crispy skin if you don't do that. You're going to have a hard time with um, any sort of sauce sticking to it, especially in the oven. It's going to kind of like slope off. And then... It also impacts the texture. Like, there is water that comes out of it when it thaws. So, like, get that water away and you'll have a better texture when your fish is cooked. Speaking of what comes out of the flesh when you cook it, very quickly, because I know people always wonder, what's that white stuff that comes out of salmon when you cook it? It's totally healthy. Maybe you know what it's called. I know I've known in the past. I don't know. But it is definitely a sign that you've overcooked your salmon. Yeah, yes and no. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it a sign that you've overcooked it. Some fish, especially like salmon, like you said, it's a little bit fattier, has more of – it's like I think I want to call it like the albumin, which is basically what what an egg white is. It's a kind of protein. And one of the ways you can combat it if you have time and if it's really important, like let's say you're cooking a whole side of salmon – for Easter brunch or something like that, you can brine it briefly. And you brine it like flesh side down, skin side up in a little bit of water and salt. And that helps draw out all of the that protein. Yes. But I really do understand that it is a sign of overcooking. Okay. Before we move on to talk about fresh fish, which I'm going to lean on you for that, I think we should talk about shrimp a little more. You yeah. said you love it because it's quick thawing and that we we both agree you're we're pretty much only buying it frozen and here is why unless you live in a coastal town where there is shrimping all of the shrimp that you could buy at your fish counter has been flash frozen where it was caught and then delivered to that store frozen and thawed before you're cooking tell them girl tell them you're basically paying for someone else to thaw your shrimp and then you're putting like a ticking clock on when you need to eat that shrimp it's less expensive to buy frozen shrimp percent you do a little bit of work which honestly like it's not that much you can throw your shrimp in a colander in a little ice bath and it'll thaw in like 10 minutes flat totally and then cook it and you've also mentioned before like you can cook it from frozen if you're like in a real pinch and you're doing something saucy yeah i mean i really mostly do it just like with lemon butter garlic yeah so you just add a whole bunch of butter lemon garlic and then you put the frozen shrimp the shrimp it will release water so you're going to end up needing to like you know be mindful of your seasonings and using a little extra of the butter and extra of the lemon juice but if you're in a pinch it works and it cooks like you cannot get a faster dinner yes love it the other shellfish, and this is going to take us into fresh fish, the only other shellfish that I really buy are mussels. I <laughs> feel like these are a hard one to get kids to like, but they're really cheap and they're awesome for like a date night. And so we will buy those fresh and do like that garlic butter wine Yum. sauce and that with like a hunk of bread after the kids have gone to bed. So good. and So delicious. Yes. Such a budget saver if you want to eat more fish. So I love that you brought this up because I think that shrimp, mussels, clams, like lobster, if you have a kid that isn't 
picky, but just is nervous about fish because they haven't had a lot of exposure. Maybe they're a little bit more adventurous and willing to go there with you. Or maybe you just have a kid who really likes getting messy with food. Some kids are like that. Not usually the super picky ones, but hey, whatever. This is where shellfish is so great. Like, let them get messy. Like, put newspaper down. Like, put it in the shell. Like, do a shrimp boil. Like, make it fun. Like, with little pieces of corn on the cob and they can eat everything with their hands because shellfish can be really, really fun. Um, The other thing is shellfish is great with pasta. So if you're going to pair seafood with something that your kid already likes and they like pasta, which so many kids do, mussels, scallops, shrimp, clams, all delicious with pasta. Also, when you're cooking shellfish with pasta that way, you're not, you know, you're going to get like five to eight clams in your bowl. Like there's not a ton of waste. You can just get four clams for them to see if they'll like bite. And if they don't, a little extra for you. It's not that big a deal. I think that the big thing about this kind of shellfish is people get nervous about cleaning it. Can you talk to us for one second about like cleaning mussels and clams? Yeah. So The most important thing for mussels about cleaning them is that you remove the gritty beard on them. And honestly, it's just like pulling off the tail on a piece of shrimp. You can use like a pair of pliers if they're really tough, but I haven't found that I've really needed them in the past. Clams, you can clean them by like soaking them in a quick brine before Mm -hmm. you cook them. You don't want to do that like the day before you cook them because it will kill the clams and then they start to go bad and you don't want to eat them. They'll be funky from that. But they're they're honestly like really a good rinse is super helpful depending on where you buy them. And the biggest thing that you can do is like use your eyeballs. Look at your mussels. Look at your clams. Were they cleaned from the fishmonger that you bought them from or do they have visible dirt and visible beards on them. And then you have to do like a little 10 minute prep work to get them ready before you cook them, either rinsing them really well or taking off those beards. It's not as hard as you think. I think it's people not. have this like thought that it's going to be scrubbing and over the sink and that it's all this work. It's not. I pinky promise. Okay. Now we're into fresh fish territory, which is where <laughs> I'm most comfortable personally. Yeah. Okay. I have to tell you, fresh fish makes me feel overwhelmed, which is maybe why I don't buy it Yeah. because I feel like it's expensive. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be buying like sustainable seafood only. So like, hard. Should I get farmed fish? Should I get only like U.S. caught fish? Please tell me everything, Stacey. Okay. So I think, you know, let's start very quickly at the beginning because I don't think it's that tricky buying fresh fish. Let's talk about fresh before we get to sustainable and all that other stuff. Fish should not smell bad fishy. It should not. If it does, it's old and trust yourself. Like, don't be like, oh, maybe I'm sensitive and that isn't right. Like, it should not smell. Some of the oilier fishes may have a stronger it should feel like a fresh sea flavor. Like when you go to the beach, not like low tide funk, but like <laughs> like that fresher sea flavor. If you're looking at whole fish, the eyes should be clear and shiny. They should not be cloudy. The flesh itself should also be shiny. 
you know, it's not often that you can touch the fish before you buy Especially it. now. Yeah. Right. But if you get fish home and like you don't cook it the first night and you're not sure, was it like fresh off the boat when you bought it? Like now is it okay? It's a day later. When you touch the flesh of the fish, it should immediately bounce back. Like it shouldn't stay depressed for a long time. Um, that is also a sign that it is not that fresh. So like that's pretty simple. Just looking for fresh fish that's going to taste good depending on how you cook it, of course. (laughs) But when you have fresh fish, again, like something as simple as just like sauteing garlic, butter and white wine is so delicious. Always lemon too for me. I'm Greek. Um, (laughs) um, But as far as the other stuff, it's tricky. I'm of two minds. One is like be informed. And I think that we both use the same resource for being informed. Yes. Seafoodwatch.org. They also have an app. If you're like really buying seafood a lot, keep it on your phone because their recommendations change pretty regularly. And that's what's so overwhelming. Like, how can we possibly keep track? They keep track for you where they are cross-referencing mercury contamination and sustainability, right? Those are like the two big factors. So that is really great. You have the app. You can look at it. And I think they even do just like the green, yellow, red, like it's a stoplight. Yeah. Like it's, it's very like best choice. Yeah. N- not uh, avoid um, good alternative. But also this is bubbling up something for me, which is there are seasons to certain seafood, right? Like that's part yes, of the sustainability totally. tag on them. Like if you're getting something that's like really off season, it's like a time when that fish should be br- like reproducing or migrating and people are still like catching it and selling it. It's not good for the fish itself, right? Right. Totally. So, you know, that's the one part of me that's like stay informed. And I do, but I have someone else stay informed for me and I just do a quick reference. There is another thing I want to say about this, though, and I think that this goes for conversations about sustainability in general, that I think that as consumers for so long, the onus has been put on us to like be informed and make smart decisions, to make important decisions, even when it's hard for us, even when it costs us more. And I think that the reality is that the onus is on the system. The system is broken. We're not broken as consumers. It has been made far too difficult for us to buy the smart choices. The choices that are healthiest aren't always the most affordable. They aren't the ones that most people have access to. And so You know, this idea that we have to take on the weight of an entire broken system in order to make like feed our kids fish for dinner because those are really important omega-3s really makes me frustrated and angry, to be honest. And I don't want that weight, which shouldn't be on us, be something that keeps people from just buying fish and introducing it and seeing what they like, seeing what they don't like. And anyway, like we're not eating fish so, most of us aren't eating fish so frequently where it matters quite as much, if that makes any sense. Yes. Okay. It reminds me of many years ago before we were best podcast buddies. (laughs) (laughs) 
watching you do, um, I think it was an Instagram live where you were talking specifically about dairy and this idea of like organics versus conventional and when do you splurge and when do you save and like what matters. And and I think this applies like both to the sustainability of fish, but also any concerns that people have about mercury and like getting those omega-3s, but also avoiding potential contaminants is like, how much seafood are you really eating? Yes. And like, if you're only having salmon once a month, can you either budget to buy like the best option or you can, or can you just for a little while accept that like your body is going to process whatever you eat and has its own natural filters and it's okay for you to buy the, the, the less expensive option or like are you having like us having shrimp every week and so like you're going to buy the best available that is going to give you the best yeah. most health and it's probably going to be a little bit more expensive but it's better for the sh- the shrimp's ecosystem totally so you know like are you pregnant how frequently are you eating it do you have really small eaters who love fish i mean my kids actually did love fish when they were young so they were eating it much more frequently so then the kind of canned tuna i bought was something that i paid way more attention to than i do now not because i've stopped caring for my kids as much <laughs> <laughs> but maybe because, a little bit <laughs> maybe a little bit because they're teenagers no but like it just doesn't matter as much anymore so you know i don't know that's like a little side rant but i just think it's really really important because like i just want to acknowledge that buying seafood can be hard i mean bah, grocery shopping can be hard between the prices and the options and the like lack of transparency about like what's available. It just, it can be hard. So don't get overwhelmed. You know, that's the app is a great resource. And then otherwise like do your thing, think about what works for you, look for what's fresh and it will work out. One more thing about fresh seafood too, though. Okay. Remember that different fish have different textures. Fish isn't a monolith. So when you're feeding your kids, fish, do they like it flakier? Do you want to kind of flake it up and kind of mix it in the rice? And then it's not a lot, you know, you can only barely notice it. Or do they want something that feels more like chicken because they love chicken, in which case you might go to like swordfish or grill a tuna steak, something that has a little bit more of a bite to it. So that's like another consideration as you consider what you buy. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, It also reminds me like we don't cook and eat enough swordfish or um, tuna steaks as option. Okay, really quick. What are some ways that you cook fresh fish? Because we talked a lot about buying it, but not about like how you're serving it to your family. Grilled, like tuna and swordfish, especially in the summer. We love that. And like eating that plain or with like, you know, capers or chimichurri or, you know, breaking it up into big hunks on top of pasta. Um, we did that this summer. A friend actually made this for us, tossed pasta with pesto and put grilled swordfish on top. And it was so delicious. You know, I love like roasted red peppers and capers, like almost like a caponata, like Italian style. When I'm broiling like either salmon or like another kind of white fish, I do do the miso thing that you do or like any kind of soy sauce based. I like pan frying with butter and lemon. Again, capers are really big in my house. So that's something that I add as well. I'm just over here dying because this is like the most 
Stacy versus Megan, just like an example of who we are as people, because you're like capers and lemon and roasted red peppers. And I'm like, I am putting like miso and coconut sugar or maple syrup or basically (laughs) everything. Like, where's the sugar? Yeah, put put some sugar on. They'll eat it. You're right, though. It is funny because I do feel like, like, I talk a lot about, like, lemon and, like, (laughs) you talk a lot about sugar. I wonder if it's some, like, basic fundamental, like, palate thing that we have going on. It really is. But you know what it comes back to, and we talked a little bit about this with the fried frozen fish, is, and it's just, like, vegetables. When we talk about vegetables, like, your kids are not going to eat it. If it doesn't taste good. So like flavor it up, you guys. And people, like, why should they? I mean, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Why should they? Wow. We really got into seafood. But I'm not going to let you go before we do a quick lightning round on how to use up leftover seafood. Because going back, circling back to the top of the episode, I refuse to throw away salmon. Mauled salmon. Oliver, get your life together. Get um, it together, Okay. Man. I'm glad Oliver doesn't listen because I would never <laughs> want him to have that weird trauma of me calling him out on an episode. Okay. So oh <laughs> the thing about <laughs> – uh, I'm sorry, Stacey. I'll pay for that therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> I, it's probably more traumatizing that I find it so hilarious. I'm his mother. Okay. Go ahead. Leftovers. Okay. W- leftovers. The thing about – reheating or recooking seafood is that you don't want to dry it out. Like most seafood is very quick cooking and very delicate, right? That's what we think of when we think about how we're going to cook it. The first time, so when we reheat it, we have to think about either gently reheating it or reheating it in a way that's like adding moisture to it. So I do love cakes of any kind, if that isn't already obvious. I've mentioned them like three times. If we have salmon, we're definitely having (laughs) salmon cakes later in the week as a leftover. Again, on brand. On brand. As they're like just really easy. You flake, you make like a little base of like breadcrumbs, an egg. You can add mayo or yogurt to like add a little moisture. And then whatever herbs you have around, fresh or dried. And then you, like, flake in the fish and fry that, pan fry them in the pan. And they're they're really, like, they're so good. Fish cakes are so good. We do leftover shrimp a lot as, like, shrimp and grits or as sort of, like, a pasta or kind of, like, saucy business over polenta. One of the things about reheating shrimp is that it's already so quick cooking. You don't want to cook it anymore in reheating it. So – I do two things. I chop it up, chop over the chop up the leftover shrimp into bite-sized pieces, which helps it reheat quickly without cooking more. And then I also like to add it in off of the heat. So I'll make the pasta or the pan sauce or whatever so and smart. then pull it off the heat and add the shrimp. So it warms up, but it doesn't necessarily cook on the stovetop. And then one thing I want to mention is soups. I think soups could be a really great way oh. to reuse and repurpose leftover seafood. You know, Chopino is like the archetype of yeah, yeah. seafood, fish, fish seafood. What am I trying to say? Fish stew. <laughs> fish stew, yeah. 
But you could riff on that and like just do like a tomato soup and add shrimp either on top of it or like to it or your salmon or whatever leftover fish you have. I also chowders. Like that's a legendary way to use up leftovers. And that's a perfect way to end because you know what? I talk about lemon, you talk about sugar, and we both love heavy cream. (laughs) (laughs) When all else fails, no lemon, no sugar, put some heavy cream on that. Yes. 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 And you know who are going to have other ideas about what to do with leftover. Yes. Because they are amazing and I love them so much. I love them them so so much. much too. All right, guys. That's it for today. <laughs> As if there hasn't been enough. Make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter to get an exclusive recipe this week and every week moving forward and our pick of the week every single week as well. You can subscribe at didn'tijustfeedyou.com or follow the link in our Instagram bio. Speaking of Instagram, you can find us there and on Facebook as at didn't I just feed you. Keep in mind that the real Facebook fun is happening in our private listeners community. The answer to be let in and what our favorite cocktail is, is whiskey. Um, also, send your hate mail where you tell us <laughs> this too long of an episode talking about fish <laughs> there too. Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. A huge thank you, especially this week. Wink, wink to Samantha Gatsik. I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well fed. Until next week. What is something you would never eat? I would never eat fish. I don't like fish. (laughs) 